630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Okay, so the Toronto Blue Jays' first half of the doubleheader on Saturday, 11 runs. Second half of the doubleheader on Saturday, 11 runs. All of them in one inning. They were being no hit, and then they get 11 runs. 22 runs yesterday. And after not getting any through the first three innings tonight against Tampa Bay, the Jays get four in the fourth, three in the fifth, and now in the top of the sixth, the Blue Jays are up 7 nothing on the Tampa Bay Rays. We're going to talk more about the Blue Jays' offensive explosion in the next half hour with Mike Johnson, who runs the five-tool fieldhouse here in Edmonton, former big league pitcher most of his career with the uh, Montreal Expos. Always good to have him on the show. Monday night football. In Vegas, Baltimore leading the Raiders 7 nothing. They're almost three minutes into the second quarter. We'll keep you updated on that one. I also want to let you know, speaking of the NFL, Chuba Hubbard, the Sherwood Park native, rookie in the NFL, made the Carolina Panthers roster as the backup running back. Yesterday, three touches in his NFL debut, had a kick return for 21 yards, two receptions for four yards. So there we go, Chuba Hubbard. I mean, we followed his... Uh, well, the first, uh, I don't know if it was the very first time we had Chuba Hubbard on the show, but we had him on in high school when he committed to Oklahoma State, and we set it up so that a Darius Bowman, then playing for the double E, called in during the interview and congratulated Chuba on going to Oklahoma State because that is where Bowman played his NCAA football. I'll always remember that. That was, a, that was a really fun segment to do. So Chuba, you know, we wondered if someday we'd be giving out NFL stats for him. Modest ones to start, but he was in the game and Carolina got the win over the uh, the New York Jets. Uh, Elks did not practice today, by the way. Blake and I were talking about their struggles in the last half hour. And they will be back on the practice field tomorrow getting ready for uh, that game on Saturday against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Kind of an odd schedule for the Elks. They will have a bye in week eight. This is week seven coming up. But then they play that Tuesday game, September 28th in Ottawa. And then they play Winnipeg two more times, October 8th and October 15th. That October 15th game at Commonwealth is going to be the first one uh, in which uh, to go to the game, I should say. To go to the game, you're going to need proof of vaccination or proof of a negative COVID test taken no more than 48 hours before before the start of the game. That'll be in effect for the game on the 15th against the Elks, the 29th against Hamilton, and then November 5th against uh, Saskatchewan. The Elks are going to have three consecutive home games in that stretch, and then we know about the three games in seven days all on the road to close it out November 13th to November 19th. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself, but just some Coles notes there for uh, the Edmonton Elks. All right, uh, the Edmonton Oilers continue to have their informal skates at Rogers Place, and I'm sure Ryan Nugent Hopkins had some extra pep in his step today as he's coming off a big victory on the racetrack, and I'm pleased to welcome Ryan back to the show. Hey, Ryan, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Doing well, Reed. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for hopping on the show, and congratulations. Your horse, Infinite Patience, wins the Northlands Distaff on Saturday. How does that feel, man? How does that feel to get such a significant victory? Yeah, it was exciting. It was, uh, she's been, we've been very fortunate with her the whole way along. She's a pretty special filly, so um, <clears throat> just happy to be along for the ride, and uh, it, was, it was a great day. It was, it was awesome to see tons of people out there everybody having a good time and uh it, uh, it was a meaningful day for for that track and just racing in general in western canada so it was, it was a good day out there so are you the type of owner are you 
do you watch the race or are you too nervous? Do you have to not watch it? Cause you know, you always hear, you know, some parents get too nervous to watch their kids or whatever. So, <laughs> so, or so yeah. do, do, do you, do you watch or do you need to just get told the result after? Uh, no, I definitely watch. Um, I definitely, I still get nervous, but I got to watch. It's uh, for me, it's, it's tough to, I don't want to just know the result that I need to watch. And, uh, and kind of see everything uh, playing out as it happens. So I was, uh, I was glued to it. I was uh, obviously a little nervous. It was a, it was a tough, tough group of fillies and mares she was running against. So um, we knew we knew how, how good she can be, but uh, you never know how it's going to go. But definitely, uh, I always like to watch them. All right. So in terms of infinite patience, and she's had a great run. You know, eight wins and thirteen career starts. So so that's excellent. And, you know, from the hockey world, players get scouted. You know, someone like you was identified as a top prospect. You get picked first overall and, and off you go. In the in the world of horse racing, like when do you know when you have something, when you have might have a high-quality horse of like infinite patience? Do you, do you know when they're really young, maybe before they're even in a couple of races, or do you need to see them on the track several times before you really feel sure? Um, yeah, you can, you can tell during their training, usually, um, some, some are harder to see it with her. It was pretty obvious that she was going to have some, be a talented horse. And, um, I actually, she was owned by, uh, a, um, an owner who used the same trainer as me and I would watch her train and, uh, I, I could see how special she was. So I tried to kind of partner with the guy and he didn't want to do it at first. And then she ran once and, and won pretty easily. So I tried again and, uh, luckily enough, Bill DeCourcy is my partner and, um, he let me, uh, partner with him. So I've been, uh, ever since after her first race. So I've been part of 12 races with her and, um, it was pretty obvious with her that, uh, from a young age that she was going to be pretty special and um it doesn't always work out like that sometimes they can look good and um not end up running running that well or sometimes they don't look great and they end up being good so uh, i think it's kind of like any sport some some of them just uh, show signs early and stick with it some of them are late late bloomers so as an owner i'm wondering how involved you are on a, on a day-to-day basis with decisions made surrounding the horse. I mean, obviously as an owner, you're going to be involved, but I, I would mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm wondering too, if there's times you got to step back and leave it to the trainers and the jockeys and the people who are experts in those specialized positions. So how, how involved uh, do you get, or when do you get need to get involved? Um, yeah, I almost always, leave it up to uh, uh our trainer and um my partner bill's the same way but i have a couple more horses with with my trainer barb heads and um she's her number one priority is taking care of the horses and um and she only puts them in in good spots um and make sure that they're happy and healthy and um so i mean the day-to-day stuff the hands-on stuff i'm completely uh hands off she uh she takes care of that um she's got she's got great help too and uh her husband mike helps out a lot too so um yeah no, i i trust them 100 percent, and they know what they're doing uh or i whereas the hands-on stuff i definitely wouldn't know so um the the day to say the day-to-day stuff i definitely just sit back and uh let whatever happen happens and the, the only stuff that uh, i kind of have a say in is where she's gonna run or 
which race to go in, and that's even that's usually uh, up to Barb. Okay, I, I'm going to ask you something. Some people have asked me about the name uh, Infinite Patience. So that she already had that name, or did you guys come up with it? Uh, no, she already had that name. So okay. he, uh, Bill, Bill named her that. I, I think the story is uh, him and his wife have been together for 40-something years, I believe, and uh, his wife, Noy, has had to have infinite patience to, to stick with him that long. So I think that's kind of where where they got the name, and I uh, obviously didn't have anything, anything to do with that. Okay, that's a, a good clarity because people were, were wondering if you came up with that name as a reference to... Uh, your hockey career or something like that. So okay. oh, no, no, nothing like that. <laughs> that, that. That that settles that. Um, remind everybody, you know, how you got into this. This is a really cool thing to to own racehorses. I mean, it's a very unique sport. Did this blossom for you during your pro hockey career, or, or even you know, going back to a kid playing for the Red Deer Rebels, or even before that? Did you think that was a world that maybe one day you would want to live in a bit? Well, my brother and I kind of grew up going to the racetrack. We uh, <clears throat> we didn't live on a farm or anything, but we went to the racetrack uh, pretty much every weekend as kids. My dad used to be involved and own some horses, and um, my grandpa on my mom's side, um, same thing with him, and they'd be at the track uh, quite quite often. So we just kind of grew up around the horse horses and around the racetrack, and it was something that I didn't know, I didn't think I'd be uh, involved in, but an opportunity came when I was uh, a little younger after my first couple of years in the league, and, uh, and I took it, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. So um, it's uh, it's definitely a fun uh, fun thing to be involved in. There's obviously ups and downs, but, um, yeah, I've definitely enjoyed my uh, experience to, to this point. So... How do you compare or contrast the competitive world of the National Hockey League to the competitive world of horse racing? Are there any parallels or are they a totally different environment? Uh, uh, no, there's definitely, there's competitiveness for sure. Um, I mean, e- even during the races, there's definitely uh, the jockeys, they're, they're competitive. They're, they're battling against each other. They'll, they'll box each other out sometimes and, and uh, they have their dif- different strategies and whatnot. And, uh, and the trainers and the owners, they kind of put the, the horses in certain positions uh, in certain races to, to have more success or to avoid running against a certain one. So there, there's definitely some, uh, some comparables, I think, in any, uh, any sport kind of thing. Um, uh, there's always going to be uh, that competitiveness. Ryan Nugent Hopkins joining us tonight on Inside Sports. His horse, Infinite Patience, winning the Northlands Distaff on Saturday, part of Canadian Derby Day. Did you get any teammates out or interested on Saturday? <laughs> well, some of them are definitely interested, and in I didn't have anybody out. Um, I had my uh, my wife's um, brother and uh, his wife and kids came up, and then um, uh, then obviously my partner Bill and his family and. Uh, and barb and stuff but it was it was a busy day i know if we we had some of the guys out they they would have been uh would have been a little busy for them so um <clears throat> maybe uh especially on a busy day like that but maybe uh for the next one i'll, I'll try to get some guys out okay and well tell me about that next one i mean i referenced infinite patience career record uh, very good and this outstanding season this year three wins in, in five starts so what is next for infinite patience where do you go from here 
Um, well, she's uh, eligible for the sales stake on October 15th, so in Edmonton. So we'll probably run her in that race. Um, and then there's another race at the end of the month, of um, end of uh, October, uh, that she might run in. She might not run in that one. Um, it, we'll just play by ear, and uh, I'll let Barbara make that call but uh yeah she's she's had a lot of success we tried to we sent her to toronto last year and um had a good first race and then uh she just she really didn't like the track too much it's uh that synthetic it's not actual dirt it's synthetic out there so she didn't like that it was very hot very hot too out there but um other than that she kind of came back this year and took her race to to find herself again and uh, it's like any sport, confidence is a big thing. So she's found her confidence again, and uh, she's been running great. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that that story. And I, I've been patient. It's an awesome story for, for you and the rest of your team. That is pretty cool. I got to throw you a couple hockey questions here while I got you. I got to pop into Roger's place today. Uh, I mean, 23 players plus the 23 skaters plus the three goalies out on the ice. So you guys are pretty much up and running. I know some guys still have to check into town. But uh, how's this been so far with these skates with the guys? Yeah, it's been great. <clears throat> been here for a couple weeks now, and um, we've had some really good skates. There's a lot of lot of bodies. Uh, there's actually so many that we we've started to split up the groups uh, uh, for just a normal practice today. And on Friday, we had uh, a full scrimmage, so it, it was a pretty good pace out there today. And uh, we just played two periods. And um, but yeah, it's good. I think it's uh, it's I think it's a good thing to have the guys out together and especially with new faces coming in, get to know each other a little bit, build some chemistry on and off the ice and, um, and start working on our game. So uh, it's been really good so far and we got to, got to keep pushing here and make sure that uh, by the time the season starts, we come out flying. And I'll just ask you about one of those new faces. And I know he wasn't uh, there today because I think he was doing some promotional work with the NHL, but that was Zach Hyman who um, you've played against. And thanks to the, the schedule format this last season you got to play against him uh nine times and he's going to jump into your top six and uh you know hopefully add some extra firepower and and uh you know another guy who can put up some points uh in in that role tell me a little bit about what it was like playing against zach hyman and what you hope he can add now to the oilers yeah well playing against him he's a, he's a hard guy to play against he's really strong on the puck and makes really smart decisions and uh, i've already kind of seen that in the little scrimmages that we play so it's exciting to have a guy like that come and, uh, and join join the team, and I'm sure at some point this year I'll get get a chance to play with him and uh, and build that chemistry. But I think he's going to be great for our team. He plays with that grit and that uh, that competitiveness, that determination that uh, that helps out the team so much. So uh, definitely excited to have him come in and uh, and and all the other new faces uh, joining this uh, joining us this year. Right on. Well, Ryan, again, congratulations on the victory in the Northlands Distaff. Appreciate you talking about that and all the best this season. We'll see you at the rink. All right. Thanks a lot, Reid. There's Ryan Nugent Hopkins, infinite patience, the Northlands Distaff winner on Saturday. We had the preview of the Canadian Derby on Friday with Robertino Diodoro, the trainer for Myopic. Well, Myopic unable to win the Canadian Derby was uncharacteristic coming away with the victory there. A record handle for Derby Day one and a half million dollars wagered. A good one for the Nuge there. Good story. He's done really well with infinite patience. Inside Sports on Chad, back in a couple of minutes.
about this now? Eight nothing for the Blue Jays. They add one more in the sixth inning. Now batting in the bottom of the seventh, an eight nothing lead on the Tampa Bay Rays. A touchdown for Vegas with just over four minutes left in the second quarter. Monday Night Football. It is now Baltimore fourteen. Las Vegas 7. We will keep you updated on that one. Great to have Ryan Nugent Hopkins on the show. Yeah, As he told you, Infinite Patience, the name of the horse, is not the name he gave the horse. It already had that name when he purchased it after it had won its uh, first race. It, it has gone uh, eight wins in 13 starts. So really good four-year-old filly. I, I know I had some people ask me, well, did Nugent name the horse Infinite Patience to, as a reference to his career with the Oilers and how patient he's had to be, uh, you know, through all the bad years and stuff. No, it is, it is not the name Nuge gave the horse. And uh, if, if you're into placing a few dollars on the odd, odd horse race, uh, October 15th, as Nuge said, infinite patience slated to race at Century Mile once again, October 15th. Good to have Nuge on the show. One of uh, 26 Edmonton Oilers on the ice for the uh, informal skate this morning. I believe uh, we, we the plan right now is for uh, Captain Connor McDavid to hold a media availability at the rink tomorrow. So we'll uh, have some of those clips for you on the show tomorrow night. If you would like to check in, it is the hotline powered by CertainTeed, professional-grade building materials. The number is 780-496-0063. You can email me inside sports at 630ched.com. Follow me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K. INS. A little more on the Elks and the Oilers and Mike Johnson, former Expos pitcher on the Blue Jays offense. All right, appreciate you tuning in tonight. Kellen, guess what I found out today? What? One week from tonight, there will not be inside sports. Okay. One night only. Apparently, there is some sort of election going on. Uh, Yeah. We get to sit at home and uh, order pizza. Yep. And uh, watch Monday Night Football. Maybe I should be more interested in the election. What is the Monday Nighter next week anyway? Uh, I, is it not? I can't remember actually. Might be the Rams and somebody. Oh, okay. Anyway, cool. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's an NFL schedule available somewhere. Mm-hmm. If I were to look hard enough. Anyway, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Uh, of course, six thirty, Chad. You're uh, home for all the lead up to the federal election, and then all the results and analysis from uh, on Monday and beyond. And you're home for all the play by play for the Edmonton Elks and the Edmonton Oilers. Balk Hogan writes in. He says, Reed, do you think Kyler Yamamoto is trying to negotiate my van into his new deal? Is he shrewdly pulling the rug from underneath me? Sleeping with the ringer volume on high, Bulk Hogan. I believe, I can't remember all the characters we have listening to the show sometimes. I believe Bulk Hogan is the uh, individual who was offering his services to the Edmonton Oilers for the, uh, he was either offering to give the Oilers his van or he just wanted a used van instead of his salary, something like that. Well, Bulk, you got to have dreams, baby. You got to have dreams. Blue Bomber Chad says, uh, Reed, you should be panicked. Elks are playing by Blue Bombers three of the next four games who just destroyed Saskatchewan. Didn't give up a TD in either game. If I was an Elks fan, I'd be quite panicked. Blue Bomber Chad, I wouldn't say I'm panicked, 
but I would say the Blue Bombers should be definite favorites coming to Commonwealth on Saturday. They are an excellent team. Remember when uh, the first two years in the Michael Shea coached the Blue Bombers, the fans wanted to run him out of Winnipeg? He's built a program there. I mean, you got to have a you got to have a program. You know, I mean, sure, you got a team, you got a franchise, but you got a program. You you bring in players, you give them roles. They know their roles. They're, they're clear on the expectations, and you do that year after year after year. Calgary's done it for a long time, and maybe the Stamps are back. They got Bo Levi back. Uh, I think they got a good coaching staff and, and now they're right back in the race. And that's what another thing that makes Saturday's result unfortunate. I mean, Edmonton could have had Calgary sitting there with one win. And then they, you know, they, they really couldn't afford to lose more than a couple of games the rest of the way. And now Calgary is right back in it. And again, tiebreaker over the Elks because of that late touchdown. Ricky from the lake says, I'm just an armchair expert, but what I see about the double E offense is a combination of weak offensive line play and a lack of QB scramble ability, which I believe is a word Ricky made up for this text. And I appreciate it. He says they need to beef up their O line to help the running game and QB production and develop some option plays and outlets for better pressure relief, sprinkle in some dazzle dazzle plays can't hurt either. How else to get the ball to our great receivers? That is Ricky check in. I, yeah, I think the offensive tackles had a tough game. And, you know, I mean, they got sacked seven times. They didn't really get wilder going. I, I, I think that was one of many things that uh, hurt the offense for sure. And uh, Rob and Capilano wrote in a little while ago, we were talking about Gerard Butler, Kellen, and he just wrote in in all caps, this is Sparta. Mm. Yes. Was that, what was that movie, 300? 300. And it wasn't about bowling. It was about uh, the Spartans. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's took you a while there. Took you a while there to figure out where you were going with that. Yes. It was thought of a, but we, that's another idea we'll have, Kellen. We'll make a movie called 300, and it'll be about the pursuit of the perfect game in bowling. Love it. There we go. That's, has Gerard, what, are, what, what do we have for bowling movies? What was the one with? Um, well, Big Lebowski kind of is a bowling mo- yeah, movie. Yeah, had bowling. What was the, the um, wasn't there one with Woody Harrelson? Woody Harrelson? Some, uh, I can't remember now, but you might be right. Movie? Was it a Ferrelli Brothers movie? Oh, what was that? I, I can see the I can see the um cover for it. Kingpin. Oh, I might be Kingpin. Yeah, Kingpin. From nineteen ninety six. Yes. I just did a Google Kingpin's on it. A bowling so. movie. Yeah. That's got what came out in that's got Woody Harrelson in it. That's the one that you're talking about. Cam Moon just texted in. Thank you, Mooner. If it if it was a comedy that is likely to be played mm-hmm. on a bus trip in the Western Highlands, oh, there we go. Yeah, not exactly. Only Cam, not only will Cam Moon know the title and the cast, he'll probably have most of the dialogue memorized. Mm. Uh, so that was with uh, the Ferrelli brothers did make that film. Uh, Woody, Randy Quaid, uh, Vanessa Angel. I, I honestly don't know who that is. Uh, Bill Murray was in it. But yeah, there was a lot of bowling in in the big Lebowski as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a bowling movie per se. <laughs> Mooder just wrote in guilty as charged. I'm sure he, uh, I, here's the thing, like Cam Moon, he is one of the most positive individuals I know. He He's one of those guys that he embraces the moment. Um, But, I, and I know, you know, obviously he loved doing everything in the WHL and uh, now he loves doing stuff with the, and let's face it, he loves working with me. 
uh, which is mutual. But I, I wonder if there were some movies for Mooner over the years where he was like, okay, I not I, again, but you got to go along with what the 17 and 18 year olds want. <laughs> like, oh. I wonder if he had the point where it's like, Okay, I've some seen this forty times. Some of those comedies in the late '90s and early 2000s, Reed. I'm sure the Mooner probably was maybe cringing a little bit on those because there was like, "Dude, where's my car?" and American Pie and that stuff. You know, yeah, my generation finds it funny, like, but uh. <laughs> yeah, even if you like them, there might be a point where okay, I just I just don't need to see it again. Right, right. But anyway, Kingpin and uh, yes, the uh, well Euler wrote in as well, reminding us of that oh bill likes the ccr song that we played coming back from break i like that one too that that is excellent guitar riff as i often say okay uh here's what we're gonna do we're gonna do a timeout we're gonna talk about the blue jays and all these runs they're scoring and a guy who knows all the ins and outs of baseball because he pitched in the big leagues he runs the five tool field house here in edmonton mike johnson's coming up after the break Into the final 10 seconds of the first half. It is 14-7. Baltimore leading the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Vegas trying to put some points on the board before the end of the half. We'll update that score before the end of the show. Toronto Blue Jays have been scoring like a football team. We'll dive into that a little bit more with former Big league pitcher, former Montreal Expo, Mike Johnson, checking in. Mike, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Good, Reed. How are you? I'm doing very well. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, We have some pretty cool baseball stories to talk about. But I want to start with what you're up to, because obviously you're uh, you're always busy helping the next generation of athletes. And uh, you've been doing some uh, work as the pitching coach for the Canadian Junior National Team. First of all, tell us a little bit about getting involved with that gig. Uh, well, it happened back in 2012 once uh, once my career was kind of wind down and joined as a guest coach and then uh, was actually part of the full-time staff for about four years um, and then took a little bit of time off and then I've just kind of been filling in here and there when uh, when they kind of need a guy. But, uh, but yeah, we're down in Florida playing a little exhibition series against Team USA. All right. And so that's about a decade in, in that role. And as we've seen, uh, I mean, Canadian baseball talent continues to grow and grow and grow. E- even in that last decade, have you seen the quality of player? And nothing against earlier generations, but it, but have you seen the quality of player or perhaps the depth of the Canadian roster improve? Um, I think it, I, for me, like uh, I think it just depends on the year, but it's actually been pretty consistent. You think of guys that have played on that team um, before, uh, Players like Justin Morneau, Russell Martin, um, some pretty big names coming through that program. And now you're kind of into the next generation of the Mike Sorokas and the Josh Naylors, the Cal Quantrills. And um, I think it's just that program has created a lot of opportunities for some of the top talent in in Canada. And it's it's definitely been a huge asset for uh, for the baseball community within Canada. So when you're working as a pitching coach, and, and this is going to be uh, another question on a theme that you and I have discussed quite a bit in the past as well, but when you're a pitching coach for players in that age range, 16, 17, 18, are you spending more time on honing mechanics or are you spending more time on, look, mentally, here's where you have to be to, to get over the hump and keep pushing to the next level? 
I think it's more of this, the second um, point that you brought up and especially with a trip like this, where I'm coming in blind, like I've never seen any of these kids before. So it's not like I'm coming in trying to reinvent the wheel for them mechanically. They're pretty mechanically sound. I might give them like one or two things just to more think about um, that they can take with them when they go back home and, and work with their pitching coaches, but more along the lines of just how to utilize your stuff, figuring out for them to figure out what makes them successful because it's all different based on stuff, size, velocity, command. There's a lot of things that kind of go into that. So start getting them, getting them thinking outside the box. And again, not necessarily pitching to hitters weaknesses, pitch to your strengths. Right. Okay. Mike Johnson joining us tonight on Inside Sports, former big league pitcher. Most of his career with the Montreal Expos now runs the five tool field house here in Edmonton. Okay. Um, I could list off all the Blue Jays stats uh, from the weekend, but I'm sure most people have looked those up. They scored a lot of runs. <laughs> they scored a lot of runs in a in a short period of time. I, I, I'll, I'll throw you this one first, uh, you know, because you, you pitched uh, in the majors in other leagues as well. When it's rolling for a team, you know, and, and you're in the dugout or whatever, uh, like, like what is it that starts rolling? Like can, can you feel something is coming or or – did you, you kind of put five or six on the board and think, oh, you know, where did this come from? Like, what, what what's that feeling like when it gets going? Um, well, I think it's just kind of one of those things where it's it's like a little bit cliche, but hitting's contagious. And um, if you think back a couple of weeks ago with the Jays, like nobody could hit. So like being cold can be contagious too. And um, obviously they hit a hot streak where – I mean, getting Springer back, I think, always really kind of ignites that lineup. And with him coming back, and it uh, just kind of puts a fire under everybody and becomes a race to the bat rack to get up there. But, uh, no, obviously they put up a ton of runs against the Orioles, but ultimately they're playing the worst team in baseball too. It's something that they should do. And if they want to be a contending team, they've got to, they've got to do those types of things with those non-contenders and, and take advantage of those situations of, winning three out of four and four out of four if, if they want to continue on to the playoffs. Yeah, well, you make a good point. You know, it, it was the Orioles, and I was talking about them a couple of weeks ago when they had that 19-game losing streak, and then they finally won. So I'll ask you the, the other perspective from, I guess, an Orioles perspective of not just giving up all those runs to the Jays, but now into the final, whatever it is, two or three weeks of a season that you're going to finish last in the division, obviously. Um how do athletes get through that? What do you think the vibe is like in their dugout and their locker room day to day? Well, obviously it probably hasn't been a fun year and stuff, but I mean, a lot of those players still have a lot of pride in what they do. And at the end of the day, um, you're playing obviously to win a championship, win a pennant and, and get off to the playoffs. But um, even teams like that have things to play for. I mean, you're trying to play for a contract. You're trying to earn your spot. You're, they probably called up, have called up a lot of guys that first time up in the big leagues trying to prove that they belong. So there's still a lot of things for those guys to play for, even though they've been out of the playoffs for probably a month or two. Yeah. Okay, so it, back to the Jays for a second. They, they've pushed into a wild card spot 
right there with Boston. Yankees are right behind. You know, Seattle and Oakland still think they have a shot uh, hanging around. I, I would think, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I, I would think tracking down the Rays for first place at this point in the season, you probably don't have enough games to do that. But, you know, how do you like the Jays' chances here uh, overall to nail down a playoff spot and, you know, maybe do some damage if they do get into the postseason? Well, I think that's the thing is, like, in a, in a short series, like, they can be a pretty dangerous team because they can put runs up in a hurry. Um, I think the one thing with the Jays that uh, has always kind of been a question this year, and I think they've added some decent pieces, has been their pitching. Um, but what uh, what Ray's doing, um, they got Stripling back, who obviously was pitching really well before he went on the IL. So hopefully he'll be a, a real big boost for the bull, for the bullpen or the starting rotation, depending on on where he kind of slots once he gets stretched out a little bit. Um, but they're starting everything, everything's pitching and defense. I mean, you know that they're going to score runs, but in a short series, you're facing one, two, and three um, in the rotation, and it's, it's a little bit easier against the Orioles. But uh, I think one thing that really kind of set them up for these last two or three weeks of the season is, and what's most impressive to me is what they did in Yankee Stadium when they went to when they went there before they went to, to Baltimore and, and they swept swept the Yankees. That uh, that to me speaks way more volumes as opposed to putting up the amount of runs that they did against the Orioles. And I think they have the Yankees coming in here, coming into town here pretty quick, and if not today, and then they're facing the Rays. So they got to have competitive series there. And then when they're playing teams like Minnesota and other teams that maybe not, aren't really competing for a playoff spot, they really have to kind of get the job done there and, and hopefully the stretch continues because usually, as everybody knows, in every sport, like if you got a hot hand going into the playoffs, you can you can go a long ways. All right, and good transition because no hotter hand in baseball. Well, I was, I was going to say lately. I don't know if that's fair because I think it stretches back further than that. <laughs> then just lately, is Max Scherzer uh, as a Dodger. Uh, what is he now? Uh, ERA under one with 72 mm-hmm. strikeouts, and he got to 3,000 strikeouts over the weekend. Almost had a perfect game, five outs away from that. And I mean, he's been a good pitcher for a, a long time. And at, at the age of 37, what are the keys to him to still being one of the most dominant arms in the game? I think it's well for him, obviously. Like, it's kind of, I think, based back to what I was talking about with the junior national team, but taking like a lot, like and a huge like a way bigger context because he's been around he's got amazing stuff and he knows how to and he knows how to use it pitch into his strength throw strikes knows how to put guys away knows when to add knows when to subtract and then you put him in the middle of that dodger that dodger rotation with that dodger lineup swinging behind him i mean it's a it's a pretty good recipe for for wins and success for sure i think he's like six and one with like you said like a 0.9 era and um and the other thing too like being a part of that rotation where you have like solidified veterans like kershaw and now burley's kind of getting into that um into that into that mix where they're going to feed off each other and they're going to try and compete and outdo one another and those are just three arms that i can think of off that rotation that uh that uh, are going to set them up pretty good going into the playoffs and yeah they the Dodgers are always going to be a threat going in there. 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. Quite a story. Okay, Mike, always great to have you on the show. Before I let you go, uh, how are things at Five Tool Fieldhouse? And remind everybody how people can find you. Uh, things are going well. So we started our, our youth programming up. Um, we offer programs from U9 all the way up to U18, uh, three different programs based on age level. They'll start up beginning of September, and uh, we've been rolling with those and been having a lot of, lot of fun with the kids, great group of kids um, at all three levels. And yeah, that, that program runs September until the end of April when the kids start playing again. And as far as the facility, yeah, people can come in and hit, get lessons. Teams can, teams can work out in there. Uh, you can get a hold of us at 5toolfieldhouse.com. All the information's on, on the website. And you can email or call in to, to book. And if you have any questions, yeah, email or call in and uh, we'll, we'll help. We'll help uh, accommodate what uh, what you're looking for. Right on. Mike, always a pleasure, man. We'll have to do this again soon. Absolutely. Sounds good, Reed. Take care. Mike Johnson, former Expos pitcher, now runs the five-tool field house here in Edmonton. And speaking of those Blue Jays, top of the ninth, they're up 8 nothing on Tampa Bay, still rolling along. The hits in this game, 17-1 in favor of the Blue Jays. What a start for Alec Manoa. He goes eight innings, 10 strikeouts, and gives up just that one hit. Monday night football, 14-10, Ravens leading the Raiders at the half. Hey, tonight you heard from Mike Johnson, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and Blake Dermott. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. Your studio producer this evening is Kellen Kennedy. Back tomorrow at 6. Thanks for tuning in. My name's Reed. Have a great night. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.